Hello and welcome to the Raptors Show on Sportsnet. I'm Nani the Fan. I'm your host, Liam Lou. Uh, first off, apologies uh, for there being no pods last week. Quite honestly, I was thinking about uh, trying to put one together and maybe booking a guest and trying to figure out what to talk about. And there just wasn't a lot going on, Raptor-wise. Um, you know, so you know, between that and also being on vacation, I just decided you know what, we can just kind of go a week without it. Um, in retrospect, I probably would have just been better if I had just said that there would be no pod last week. He made some sort of announcement, either on the pod itself or on Twitter. But uh, nevertheless, there was no shows uh, this past week. However, uh, this week, I'm back in Toronto. And uh, it's, I mean, look, there's still nothing going on. Let's be truthful. There's absolutely nothing going on in, in the world of basketball, uh, at least for the NBA basketball. There's actually quite a bit going on uh, in terms of FIBA basketball. Um, but, uh, yeah, I am at least back in the city and, uh, you know, I, I like doing these pods. And so what I decided to do, uh, for this episode was to call for Twitter questions online. And part of that is because, uh, you know, we wanted to do more of the banter pod, which I'll be recording with Alex on Tuesday. Uh, reports suggest that there might be a special announcement. Um, so definitely check out that episode, aiming to drop that probably on Wednesday, um, so look out for the banter pod then, and definitely want to get a lot of questions uh, for that show. However, one of the um, one of the tricky things with the banter pod is that, like, look, like realistically, it's like twenty percent basketball and like eighty percent, you know, miscellaneous kind of grab bag kind of stuff. Uh, and so, what happens sometimes when I ask for questions there is just like a lot of the basketball questions don't actually get answered or don't get answered. Uh, to the depth that maybe the question deserves or even that I, as a basketball fan, um, am curious about and, and want to share thoughts on. So I kind of just split that into two parts. So this episode will be solo episode answering basketball-only Twitter questions. Uh, and of course, there probably will be some basketball in that show uh, for the banter pod. Again, it's usually 2080, that kind of mix. People know the deal by now. We've been doing them all summer. Um, but for this one, strictly basketball, you know, pure hooper kind of pod and uh yeah so these are the questions that i've gotten on the basketball side of things the first one comes from uh mo square actually a really great twitter follow uh if you are into uh soccer of all kinds um you know mo has uh been doing a, a very extensive series um looking at some of the best uh, footballers and their peaks and going through history and sort of looking at how good their production was at the time. Honestly, I've, I personally enjoyed it as a, as, as a, as a, a football nerd. But in any case, um, Mo writes in, he asks, uh, ignoring the current roster f- for this question, what is the best way to maximize Siakam's I- impact on offense in terms of surrounding parts and team play style? So um, first off, a couple of things. Uh, this is, I guess, strictly focused on the offense, which I... Th- think I will cover, but I, I like this question in general in terms of just like how do you build uh, the best team around Pascal and sort of maximizing his skills. And so I, I kind of wanted to expand to the defensive element as well. Um, in terms of ignoring this current team's roster, I actually think the roster has quite a few things going for it that actually works uh, in Siakam's favor. Um, I think in particular the chemistry that he has with Fred um, is something that's pretty undeniable. The two of them have a really good two-man game. Obviously, they came into the league together, played in the G League together, won the G League title, came up to the league, was on the bench mob together, 
you know, then of course Pascal got promoted to the starting lineup. Fred was still coming off the bench, but you know, as we've seen throughout the 2019 playoffs, there were times basically where Fred was the sixth starter, especially in the finals when he started second halves all the time. Um, that uh, you know, him and Pascal were actually starting together, and of course, the last three years now they have started together. This past year, they were definitively the first and second options. I would say probably even in Tampa as well, although Kyle was still around, so you never fully know with that, but. Ultimately, there's a great two-man chemistry there. I actually think that works really well together. Fred gives you that off-ball three-point shooting that I think really is important to maximizing Siakam offensively. Um, and I just think that, again, there's there's something to be said about just the way two people know how to pair off of each other. Um, that, uh, you know, when you start to see it work time and time again with the two-man game, I think that's something that needs to be prioritized. I think Fred is just a really good complementary player just in general. Not to say he's purely a complementary player, but... Um, you know, the defense that he provides at the point of attack, the fact that he's able to generate turnovers. This is like the second year in a row now he's led the league in turnovers forced per game. And the reason that that's really important is Pascal is amazing in transition. Um, and so that kind of feeds into that. He can guard the ball. He's plays well off the ball. He's comfortable playing off of Pascal, catch and shoot, three-point shooting, the gravity, all that stuff. So I think Fred, even just ignoring the, the current, you know, roster, I, I think even if you could pull whichever players to put beside Pascal, I think I'd still pick Fred. Um, the type of team that I would pick around Pascal, like honestly, does these this type of player doesn't exist anymore, but a 3 and D center in the uh, in the Marcus All um, mold, I think fits absolutely perfectly with what um, Pascal kind of needs. Because I think defensively, first off, you don't want to play him at five. I've seen a lot of Pascal playing at five, whether it was this year or last season. Um, it works at times. It works maybe as a matchup look, um, especially against teams that have downsides. But I just find that he picks up foul trouble too much. And again, if you're looking to maximize his impact, you need him on the floor. And so definitely you don't want him to pick up foul trouble. Um, you're also leaving him to bang for rebounds and things like that, which, I mean... I think he can do like it's it's definitely not like Pascal's a bad rebound or anything. But again, I, I'm just thinking about someone else getting the rebound and Pascal getting in a transition. And so I think I'd ideally like someone else to sort of lock down the glass. It wasn't like Marcus All was a dominant rebounder, but he was a big body. He was able to box out all the time. Again, this is a moot point because guys like that don't exist anymore. Like you can look around the whole league. There's not one Marcus All type at all. What you have are you still have like defensive bigs who can shoot the three and pass. Um, but they're not nearly the same way. And I think that they don't have the same like post presence in terms of defensively that Mark has again, that he's just, a, he's, he's going to be a hall of famer. It's hard to say that uh, you just expect him to be around, but that's the kind of player that I would look for in that sense. Maybe I guess, I guess Brooke Lopez is, is brings some of those elements um, in terms of the rim protection, in terms of the boxing on a defense, in terms of spacing out to the three point line, not being a high usage kind of guy. Um, but I don't know. He's coming off the back injury, and I'm not even sure if he's he's all good. Um, actually, I don't think he injured his. Did he injure his back? I gotta look. I gotta look that up. But in any case, um, that kind of three and D center. I think honestly, having a playmaking, very athletic four around Pascal actually works a lot. So I actually think again, even putting aside the roster, you know, of, of this specific roster, a guy like a Scotty Barnes or even like a Chris Boucher, someone who could be at that four position, make plays, again, generate turnovers, uh, create second chance opportunities in terms of crashing the glass, uh, being able to space out to the three, 
being able to switch a little bit as well and cover multiple positions. I actually like that around Pascal because I think his best position right now to me is probably playing the three. Um, and I, th- I think, again, this is where not even just thinking about the offense itself, I think defensively that's where you can really build a great team around him because, you know, even if you I make the most ideal roster around Pascal, right, offensively, in terms of, like, let's say you have great shooters at the all other four positions. Right now, teams like to double-team Pascal a lot. When you look at the metrics, last year he was in the top 10 in terms of facing the most double teams in the league. And he actually did really well out of those because he's a very willing passer. Um, so you definitely want to pair him with three-point shooters. Also, teams uh, played a lot of zone when Pascal was sort of that main playmaker. A lot of the times, the Raptors would go to their second unit with Pascal leading it. This would usually be the start of the second quarter and the start of the fourth quarter, the way the rotations worked. Um, Nick usually liked to have Fred play the entire first quarter. Pascal checked out around, you know, six, seven minutes into the quarter, sat the rest of the quarter, and then came back in to start the second quarter, and he would play him the entire second and the entire fourth quarters. Um, in those moments, when the, the Raptors went to those looks where Pascal was the future guy, teams zoned them very consistently. And so, again, you want consistent three-point shooters. But the thing is, to me, it's like, look, you could create the best offensive team around Pascal, but that team is never going to be even close to the best offensive team in the league. The, the reality is that there are lots of other players who are more um, offensively talented and offensively gifted as sort of that uh, quote-unquote heliocentric uh, figure where you can sort of like spam one guy and sort of like space him out. Like this isn't like LeBron with shooters, you know, like we know that Pascal is not at that level, but I think what you can do that's really special with Pascal is you can s- support him with a great defensive identity around him. And so that Marcus all type at the center, you have a, a guy like Fred, who's a really great on ball defender, uh, is able to really create turnovers. And then essentially just like two more big forwards around Pascal, ideally someone who can shoot it really well and also defend really well. Honestly, OG works really well against with Pascal. I think that that makes a lot of sense there. And then, you know, um, someone at the four who's able to create a lot of activity, who's able to crash the glass. He's able to hit some threes. That sounds like a pretty good team to me. Like, and I think that, uh, if you again bringing it back to this roster, um, you actually have a lot of those pieces in place. Uh, I think the only thing that's missing is that 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 center presence, who's able to again take on some of those post up defensive uh, responsibilities that I don't think anyone on the roster is currently equipped to do. Um, also, space out, maybe make some uh, great passes. Again, like if Marcus All was around and five years younger, uh, he would be the absolute perfect player to put around pascal but in any case uh hopefully someone else develops into that role but truly is a very unique player but honestly i think that could be a really good team and i think the raptors actually have a lot of those pieces in terms of the style of play pretty much the same i think you want to be able to give pascal the ball let him be the primary creator not the only creator because again you don't want him to be double teamed and then no one else can really make do anything with it Probably need to have a secondary playmaker. You can make him the primary playmaker. But I think defensively, if you have those three super interchangeable forwards, an actual, honest-to-goodness, great rim protector who's also able to guard the post uh, effectively alongside a guy like Fred who's able to you know create turnovers and, and guard smaller off-ball players, it's pretty ideal. So basically, I'm saying just rebuild the 2019 Raptors. I didn't need to spend 10 minutes on this question. But thank you, Mo, for this question. And again, Mo does really great work. Uh, in terms of covering soccer in an analytical lens. So check out his stuff. Next question comes from LaMelo Season. Um, What are your realistic projections for Scotty? I'm not going to lie. Is shooting and aggressiveness worries me at times? Okay, so 
I think I share those same concerns. If Scotty doesn't ultimately become a star either immediately or some years down the line, that's probably going to be the reason is that he doesn't shoot it well enough and he's not aggressive enough offensively to put up the numbers that you would expect to see on um, a superstar of that level. Um, And, you know, when you look through his rookie year, obviously he played a lot of different roles, right? Like, you know, obviously in the starting lineup, originally there was no Pascal, so he got a lot of usage. Um, You know, even think about his second game in the league, he scored 26 points and had 12 rebounds against the Celtics. And he had lots of possessions in that game where he was taking mid-range jumpers, he was ISOing, he was attacking off the dribble and stuff like that. Um, You know, his usage as a player in that context was different from when Pascal came back and they were starting Ken Burch at times. And then they were starting small at times. And then sometimes he was a fifth option. And Nick Nurse was like, I kind of like him in that Marcus All role. But to be honest, I want him to shoot the ball more. Um, then there were times where Fred went out and, and you know, Gary was out and OG was out. And so Scotty took on more of an offensive responsibility. I'm thinking more in terms of March when he really made that hard uh, rookie of the year push. Raptors went on the road, six games out west, won all six, including that Denver game, which I thought was one of Scotty's top three best games of the season last season. The way they were able to uh, make the comeback against Jokic, uh, the double teaming, and Scotty, what he did in terms of his own offensive creation, it changed from game to game. And then we even saw in the playoffs it changed, right? Game one, obviously that was a disaster of a game. We don't like to remember it, but Scotty was on his way to a triple double before. And B stepped on his foot, and obviously Scotty went down. Thankfully, he came back later in the series, sort of did his thing as well. But I guess my general point is I'm not really sure, based on the first year of, of Scotty's career, in terms of like what is going to be his like go-to bread and butter offensive responsibilities. And when you break it down in terms of his usage, um, they're pretty confusing. Like he used 11% of his possessions in isolation. He was fine. Uh, he scored uh, 0.87 points per play in ISO, which is about league average, honestly, I would say. Um, you know, but 11%, you know, okay, a decent number. It's not insignificant, right? Uh, in terms of pick and roll ball handler, he was at uh, 5.6% usage. Uh, in terms of pick and roll uh, roll man, when he's setting the screen and catching and finishing, he was at 4%. So let's just put those two together and say, in terms of pick and roll, he was using 10% of his possessions that way. You know, again, league average efficiency in that sense. Post up, he averaged 10.5% usage in terms of uh, his frequency of plays in the post. 0.92 points per play. Pretty good for post ups, but uh, post ups generally aren't a very efi- efficient play. So a lot of teams don't even post up unless you have like a Jokic or an Embiid. Um, I guess Zion when he's healthy. Um, oddly enough, spot ups, even though you don't think of Scotty as some sort of off ball shooter, he did shoot 17% of his uh, shots on spot ups. Uh, obviously, he wasn't great at those. 0.79 points per play is quite low for spot ups, but that's not surprising considering he was not a very good three point shooter. Um, and you know, the only thing that surprises me is like, based on his usage percentage, he actually like, let's, he took more spot up shots than like ISO plays or pick and rolls or post-ups. But that's actually not a surprise to me when you think about it deeper, because it's like, that's just what players do. Like they have off ball responsibilities and, um, you know, unless they are the primary creator, which I don't think Scotty was, uh, for significant parts of this season, um, you know, you're probably going to be off the ball and you're probably going to be asked to sort of catch and shoot. That's just the reality of how the game is played nowadays. And so there's definitely uh, a need for him to improve in that sense. To uh, and, and that's part of the question here. And then transition. He used 21% of his plays in transition. He was averaging 1.07 points per play. Again, still slightly low, but, um, you know, 
obviously this is his most used play it's not a surprise when you look at the overall team because the raptors as a team roughly averaged about uh 20 percent of their possessions in transition so this is kind of actually league average or team average relative to sort of the way the raptors like to play in terms of forcing turnovers again on the fast break but um that's obviously a play that you know you're not worried about scotty in that fast break scenario he's he's electric in that front he's got the passing to go along with it which i'm not even sure if the passing numbers even factor into what the nba uses in terms of their synergy stats uh like in terms of let's say scotty runs a break and he he last second doesn't know look past to chris boucher um which probably happens once every other game and you know does that count towards Scotty's usage does that count towards his efficiency numbers I'm not really sure um but in any case you know he can be good in transition I think to me it's like he's definitely needs to um improve the outside shooting first and foremost uh, there's probably going to be a step and a pattern to sort of how he's going to improve as a player I think uh any expectation that he's going to come in next season and have the ball all the time and he's 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 handling the play or he's the primary point guard and things like that I doubt it um I th- firm I mean Fred, first off, is the point guard. He's coming off an all-star year. He's even if you want Fred to be a more off ball, even if you want Fred to sort of like, you know, um, again, just shift some of that responsibility. I think that's fine. I think that's reasonable. I think there's there's arguments to be made on that front. But it's not going to be like he's never going to touch the ball again and he's going to become Patty Mills. That's not going to happen with this team, um, nor should it happen, quite honestly. The thing is, the guy who would take on most of those extra touches or who would be dictating the play would be Pascal Siakam. I mean, again, even if you go back to those Rico Hines runs, which are now over, by the way, uh, it's a shame, really, because that was a really great month of just covering his uh, highlights every day. But when you watch those runs, he's literally handling the ball every single possession time and time and time again. Um, And, you know... That's an indication of sort of the way that he wants to play and the way that uh, the team wants him to practice, right? Because that's who would be the primary point guard. And so even if you say Fred moves off the ball a little bit, you know, some of those extra uh, reps, those go to Pascal. Those don't go to Scotty. Now, some of those might go to Scotty, but again, they're not thinking of Scotty as that primary creator next season. So what he's really going to need to do is become more efficient in all his movements. I think number one, like the spot up jumpers just have to be a lot better. Again, if he can knock down, let's say, a reliable 40% from the corners. Again, these are the easiest three-point shots when you consider in terms of the difficulty. Um, corner uh, is the is the shortest three. Um, it's very rarely a three where you need to move your feet at all. You can set your feet, you can catch the ball, and then you just shoot the ball, right? And you've got to be very, very efficient on those. Can he get to 40% from both corners? Then can we, can we get to situations where, okay, because he's going to handle the ball a little bit as well and he's going to facilitate... Uh, that's probably going to happen at the top of the floor. You generally don't facilitate out of the corners. So if you're going to facilitate at the top of the floor, can you knock down that three at the top to sort of um, get defenders to sort of close down on you rather than sagging back in the paint and cutting off your passing lanes? That's, again, going back to that Marcus Gasol comparison. That's something Mark was able to do uh, when he was on. When, when Mark was on, he was able to knock down that three at the top. That pulled the opposing center out above the free throw line at least. And so that opened up a lot of gaps behind him and took the biggest rim protector out of the way so that other guys were able to cut in. And obviously, Mark was a great passer. You, I think I would love to see Scotty do some of that kind of stuff. And that, you know, is something I think in terms of his passing vision, in terms of the passing reach, in terms of the fact that he's able to pass over the top because he's so big. And he's got, you know, just he's just a good passer in general, right? Um, 
in order for him to be more effective in that role, again, that comes back to the three-point shooting. If he's able to pull his man out of the paint and create a little bit more space, it's a lot easier for him to pass. Um, I think he's got to get more efficient on those fronts. I think they'll probably steadily give him more and more possessions. Like the fact that he only used 10% of his possessions last season between either being the pick-and-roll ball handler or the pick-and-roll screen setter, that is very, very low. Um, now the Raptors as a whole don't really use pick and roll a lot when you look at their p- overall team pick and roll usage. So that's part of a Nick thing, not a Scotty thing. But you do wonder if you can give him the ball a little bit more on that front. Like I don't really see why you couldn't run some of the same plays that you run for Pascal the way that you run for Scotty. Because when you look at their play usage and the breakdown, what Scotty did last season was relatively similar to what Pascal Siakam did in that championship season when he won most improved player. His usage was similar in the sense that I remember looking at that most improved season and it was like, well, Pascal used a whole bunch of different plays, but there was no consistent play. Only difference was probably Scott, uh, Pascal posted up and definitely was a way more efficient post-up player than Scotty was as a rookie. But um, yeah, I don't see why you couldn't use him in that front. Um, and I guess the Raptors kind of already did uh, for his rookie season. But yeah, in terms of making that big jump, immediately to me, I just don't fully see it because again, like you just need the ball more to to gas up your stats. Unless you're a great off-ball shooter, which we definitely know Scotty isn't right now, you're going to need the ball more. And I don't actually see the ball getting to him substantially more because what actually changed from last season, right? I There's not that much that changed from last season. And honestly, at times, you if the starting five is the same, which I do anticipate it being the same, that being Fred, Gary, OG, Pascal, Scotty, there will be not in, infrequent nights where Scotty is like your fourth or fifth option. And I think people need to be prepared for that. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of expectations for him right now, and there's no reason for there not to be. But immediately speaking, just because a new season started does not mean that he's going to have an entire change of game, nor does that mean that uh, the circumstances have opened up for him to take that kind of leap. Because there were not these kind of big roster moves to create the uh, the weak, the, the opening for a guy like Scotty to become more efficient and more more prominently used. But again, though, uh, that doesn't mean that he's a disappointment if he doesn't do it next season. And that doesn't mean that, you know what, he can't become so much better as it, you know, that it dictates that the coach changes his usage on the team. Like, I'm not ruling that out, right? Um, but again, I, I'm also not going to hold it against him if it doesn't happen immediately this season. A related question um, on this front, since we're on the topic of Scotty, comes from uh, keeping up with the Toronto Raptors. Do you think Scotty could genuinely be our starting point guard in the future? What would have to happen? I think so. And I think it probably would look well. Actually, I don't know if it could happen. I mean, I think it definitely can happen, but I don't know if it will happen specifically. Um, the way it'll look probably will be similar to Pascal operating, honestly. Um, I don't actually see it being that much different in that sense i would say that scotty is a more natural passer than pascal is um pascal i think has always been a good passer for his role but his role has expanded and he sort of had to sort of catch up to some of those extra point guard skills that i think scotty has more reps um in executing and that's not a surprise by the way like obviously pascal started playing basketball late in life scotty's been playing it you know since he was young i assume uh and when Scotty was coming up, he came up as a point guard. Even in college, he played as a point guard. Whereas for Pascal, when he went to New Mexico State, for example, he's a back-to-the-basket player. 
Um, and that's reflected in the fact that Pascal has a, a more refined post-up game, and that's reflected in the fact that Scotty has a more refined pick-and-roll game. In any case, I think it'll be similar. Um, teams will probably sag off of both guys. Um, they're probably not going to respect the, the pull-up three that much. Um, and it's really just about can they get deep into the paint and either score over tra- over defenders, which I think both guys can do, um, or you know find the open man or find the next pass, which I think Scotty actually is better at, to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of how it would look. In terms of will it happen, I don't know. As long as Fred and Pascal are here and they're fully healthy and they're performing, which there's no reason why they're not, I I, I don't know. I actually don't know. I don't think he's going to be the full-time point guard. Because what, are you going to have three point guards on at all times? Like, that's just, you know, that's that's not how the game is played. Um, another Scotty Barnes question. Um, this one from Jaden. Um, what are the chances of Scotty making his first all-star team? I'm assuming this season. And what are the chances of the Raptors getting three all-stars this season? Yeah, so... I think that there's a good chance the Raptors get two all-stars. I feel pretty good about their chances of being... Um, in the top four of the East by the time All-Star rolls around in, like, February. Um, I doubt either guy will be, like, either Pascal or Fred will be voted into the game um, by fans or fellow players because I just don't see fans. Honestly, they're they're more local fans. They're more local stars than, like, uh, uh, league-wide stars. And that's no disrespect to them, right? Like, for example, like... um. I don't know. Most most players are like market stars rather than like league stars. League stars are the guys that ESPN makes clickbait videos on about like, is Luka Doncic gonna you know miss the playoffs this year? Question mark. And it's like no, but um, you know that he's not at that level. So he's not a Giannis or none of those guys are Giannis. None of those guys are Embiid. I don't even think Jokic is even that level. Oddly, even though he won two MVPs, he just doesn't get covered like that like a Luka, like a LeBron, like a Kyrie, like a Russ, like that kind of player who gets in the news all the time. He's probably not covered like that. Um, but um, but uh, the coaches will at least vote one of them in, if not two of those in. Um, I could see two Raptors going to the All-Star game. Three would be very difficult. I think the Raptors probably need to be first in the East. Um, and probably need three guys averaging 20, which is possible. Like, it's it's, it's possible. Like, if, if Scotty makes a small jump, from what he did this past season, and it gets more efficient with a three-point shot, for example. Like, I could see his, you know, he's averaged, what, 15 points per game last season? I could see that jumping to close to 20. Uh, and you know what? Again, especially if, if an injury happens, which obviously you don't want to see happen. If an injury happens, though, and more shots go to Scotty, you could see him maybe averaging 20. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I could I, I could, I could see that potentially. Um, I mean, either way, Scotty will be at the... Uh, the rookie sophomore game, which I don't think anyone's super, uh, super thrilled about that necessarily. I guess it's just more of a given, but, um, I guess there's a chance. I guess there's a chance. I know there's a lot of optimism. Uh, I, I just, I think I just need to see it first. I, I think that there is a lot of things contextually in the way. Um, and also even just in terms of his skill set that are f- not fully there yet that I still want to see. But, uh, yeah, I, I would, if I had to guess, I'd say the Raptors get two all-stars, not three. Also, there's a lot of talent in the Eastern Conference. You know, it's just, it's just not easy. It, it's it's not easy um, to to sort of make it. And also, by the way, the weird thing is, uh, as someone who does consume a lot of like coverage uh, of the NBA in general, um, which largely comes from the states. Which again, it's fine. I'm not trying to make this like Canada states, you know, weird um, little brother thing. But like when I listen to like the the American coverage of these sports, like 
oddly enough, even though Scotty won rookie of the year, and I understand the race was very close, like Scotty won it narrowly over uh, Evan Mobley, you hear a lot more like Evan Mobley hype and the way he's spoken about in this like breathless way of like he's Tim Duncan but with a three. Which, by the way, I still need to see first, man. I mean, you guys, people got to respect what Tim Duncan did as a rookie. I know Tim Duncan was older when he came into the league than a, than a guy like Evan Mobley. But, uh, yeah, Tim Duncan averaged uh, 21-12 and three assists. Uh, made the all-star team as a rookie. Played all 82 games. And the San Antonio Spurs were able to um, make the playoffs and uh, ultimately lost in the second round to a very good Utah team. But, like, come on, man. Like, uh, we, you know, we got to just relax. We're not just giving him, um, you know, uh, Tim Duncan comps off of one season. Um, by the way, in the playoffs that year, Tim Duncan averaged 21 points, nine rebounds, two assists, shot 52% from the field. So, again, and also obviously it was a game-changing defensive presence. Uh, what, second year he won uh, the MV, or the uh, finals MVP and also the championship? So, you know, we got to chill a little bit. But anyway, the, my point is that, like, if you c- hear the way people talk about Scotty and the way people talk about Evan, I think people are generally, like, even though Scotty won the um, rookie year, people are still probably more in awe of what Evan does rather than Scotty, which, I mean, look, to be honest, there's there's a lot of good things that Evan Mobley does. Um, but uh, my point is, like, when it comes time to, like, decide all-stars, who's top of mind for guys, when they decide, okay, which young guy do we want to include this year? Which one young guy do we want to give the nod? Like, I think psychologically, like, Evan is probably more top of mind for a lot of those people. Just based on listening to the coverage, especially to guys who have, like, you know, like the Hoop Collective, for example. With Great Pod, I really enjoy it with uh, with Tim Bomb Temps, with uh, uh, Tim McMahon, and also Brian Windhorst. Like, just listen to them talk about Evan Mobley. It's 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 genuinely like I don't know. I guess it's like listening to us talk about Scotty. So it's it's all fair. But uh, nevertheless, um, it it would be a little tricky for Scotty to make the the, the All Star team next year. He I think he would need to average some pretty ridiculous numbers, and I think the Raptors would need to be first in the East. Uh, but soon, though, just again, just because it doesn't happen in the sophomore year does not mean that uh, you need to be less excited. Uh, maybe you just got to understand that there's a there's a there's a process to sort of how things go. Next question comes from Evan. Um, Will, if you could change one thing about the way Nick Nurse coaches, what would that be? Um, so I, I think to me, the way with Nick Nurse coaches, I think really defensively, he's really smart. Like he's really adaptable. He's really willing to do out of the box things. It actually is something that um, I really enjoy watching. I think the contrast is always going to be to a guy like Dwayne Casey because obviously he coached the team uh, quite successfully, by the way, but he coached the team before the uh, Nick did. And, um, you know, that's sort of the the other image of the Raptors I have in mind is the way coach Casey coached the team. And the way Casey coached the team was very much like, we got a game plan. We're going to run this game plan. And even if it's like, okay, we're getting crushed in the first half, maybe in the second half, he'll like make some adjustments or maybe in the fourth quarter, you make some adjustments. Like we, you know, look, the, 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 the plan that we had doesn't work. we got to abandon it quickly. The way I, I like Nick's approach of like, I see Nick's like changing his approach in the first quarter, which you might say, well, maybe he's less prepared for a game if he's already changing in the first quarter. But to me, that's silly. I mean, first off, I think, Definitely, there's no need to question how much uh, Nick prepares for a game. His staff, they're, they're very, very good. But I think the fact that is that like he's very willing to sort of go to two or three different looks. Um, and as a fan, I really enjoy that. What I don't want to see is like, okay, this is my plan. And because this is my plan, I'm going to roll with it, regardless of whether it's getting crushed or not. 
right? That flexibility and that adaptability is, I think, one of the major keys to being successful on defense, especially because the Raptors have had a top defense without necessarily game-changing defensive players. Like you might say, well, okay, they had Marcus All, they had Kawhi Leonard, you know, uh, those are two defensive players of the year. I agree with you, right? That year, 2019, that was not a surprise to me that they were that good defensively. But the fact that the year after, when Kawhi left and Danny Green left, two really, really experienced defensive players who have both, you know, made multiple all defensive teams and in Kawhi's case one defensive player of the year twice um once or twice I, I forget anyway but regardless that level of player um they were actually better defensively the following year um and so you know the, I think a lot of that comes down to what Nick does uh, in terms of his changing the lineups and, and changing the way he defends and it's, it's very innovative I, I think the only thing is just offensively he I don't know. I think you would want to see a little bit more of that offensively as well. Um, I, I think a couple of things that he does well in terms of the broad strokes, he definitely wants to shoot threes, definitely wants to play fast. Those are like the bare minimum that I think that almost any team needs to do nowadays to be efficient offensively. I would say that the Raptors front office haven't necessarily given them great three-point shooters outside of that championship season with Danny Green and Kawhi. Um, you know, when you look at the team last season, there were times where the Raptors only had like two healthy shooters at times or one healthy shooter. Like it, it was sad. Um, but you know, I, I still do think that there are things that offensively just doesn't, I don't know. The Raptors don't, they're just never a team that's going to overwhelm you offensively. And I think that that's where maybe you see a little bit more creativity. I think he definitely has creativity in terms of out of bounds plays after timeout plays, um, Maybe the overall stats don't look great for that sense, but I think some of that just comes down to them not necessarily having the personnel to execute all those types of plays. But I think there's probably room to improve offensively. I, I do wonder, like, why do the Raptors, instead of, it seems like instead of running a more traditional pick-and-roll sets with, like, let's say a spread pick-and-roll, you have Fred hiding the ball, you have, I don't know, Scotty or Pascal coming to set the screen at the top. Uh, guys are spaced out into the two corners and also a guy on the opposite weak side wing. Um, and running that pick, spread pick and roll, you know, over and over again. Maybe it's part of, like, maybe it's partially the Raptors don't have the greatest talent for that, but also it's just like there are a lot of plays where the Raptors are just running that three man weave at the top where they're dribbling and pitching and dribbling and pitching and dribbling. And, and there's a use to that. Like the whole idea is to like you scramble um, some of the help rotations behind you, you scramble some of the defensive matchups. Uh, maybe the people miscommunicate, there's an opening, someone goes. But also at times it's just like, okay, we spent like eight seconds on this and we have gone nowhere. We have gone from the left side of the floor to the right side of the floor to the left side of the floor. And, you know, where did this ultimately go? I, I still think half-court offense is something that um, maybe it's a talent thing, but also it's it's a bit of a coaching thing too, right? Can we can we get the half-court offense a lot better? Because defensively, if Nick was as good as coaching offense as he was at coaching defense, you know, He'd be unquestionably the best coach in the league to me. Next question comes from Jay Rich. Uh, how would you rank in order of priority offense, defense, basketball IQ, team chemistry, and organizational culture? Uh, does these impact winning more or less than individual talent? Thank you. Um, and where would you rank in terms of priority? I, I think, I mean, I, I definitely put defense number one. Um, defense absolutely is number one. Genuinely, you, you know, Games are always going to get ugly, but if you can't stop the other team, you're pretty much not going to win most times. Um, I would say offense is probably second behind defense. Not too far behind. Definitely if you can't score, you're not going to win. Um, but definitely rank defense first. Uh, after that, probably organizational culture. 
Um, I think team chemistry and organization culture, I guess that's kind of lumped into one. Yeah, I would put that then. And then P- basketball IQ is just like people, I don't know, basketball IQ is a very nebulous thing. Like you see someone cutting back door and someone finds it with the pass, you're like, great basketball IQ. That is also just great offense, period. So it's like, or like, uh, you know, let's say, you know, two guys hedge on the pick and roll defensively. The, the the offense is able to sort of either get the pass over the top or someone's able to split the double and they're going down into the lane and they look like they have a layup, but someone rotates out of the corner and blocks them. You would say, wow, that's great basketball IQ to recognize the rotations. That's also just great defense. So basketball IQ is just sort of too nebulous of a term. Um, it basically just means you're playing good offense or good defense collectively. So I'm going to have to scratch that. But yeah, I would say defense first, offense, then you know, team chemistry slash organizational culture. Do those things impact more or less than individual talent? Um, no, it's one of like you need both anyway. So it's hard to say what you need more. It's like, what do you need more to make pancakes? Uh, do you need the flour more or do you need like um, the baking powder? And it's like, well, you're not going to make pancakes without baking powder. And you're definitely not going to make pancakes without the flour. So it, you, you just need all the components, I would say. Like, you, obviously, you can have great organizational culture. Like the Spurs, I would still say they have great organizational culture. But they suck because they, they don't have good talent, right? So, um, yeah, you, you definitely need you definitely need both things. But it's, it's an interesting question. I appreciate it. Um, next question. And the next couple, by the way, are all focused on Gary Trent Jr. Uh, also become a very topical player this offseason for reasons that I don't fully understand. But nevertheless, um, this question comes from HJ the four. Um, Is Trent good enough to start on a championship winning team? Can he ever credibly become good enough to start on a chip winner? If not, is Masai looking at Gary as a similar asset to Norm? Valuable, but not ultimately good enough. Um, I think first off, you know what? Maybe I'll pull up the list of championship looking winning teams and, and sort of see uh, who they started at two guard. Because to me, it's like, I don't know. Two guards is not like necessarily the number one place I look for in terms of starting caliber players nowadays um obviously back then when it was like uh kobe and mj like yeah of course like that's the number one place you would look uh, arguably but you know last year's team with the warriors who started it to clay like i mean honestly gary's better than what clay showed last season like obviously clay was coming off injuries so that's not like i'm saying gary's better than clay that's obviously not true but that limited version of clay thompson who was like honestly bad like 20 30 percent of the time and average like 50 percent of the time and then had some high moments no doubt um uh, and both figure <laughs> both terms <laughs> ways to use the word high but like um yeah i i, I mean I, I think a healthy gary was better than a banged up uh clay um who won the title before that obviously the bucks who was the bucks starting to guard that year um i want to say like was it was it Connaughton? No, it wasn't Connaughton, right? Let me just quickly. I guess I could have done this ahead of time, but hey, listen, you know, it is what it is. Let's see who they started. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks uh, in their last championship-winning game against the Phoenix Suns. They started at the two. Okay, Chris, I either say Chris Middleton or I guess yeah, Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton. Okay, Chris Middleton's definitely better than than um, Gary. Okay, all right, fair, fair. Let's go one more game, one more year before that. It was the Lakers. Uh, that was also the bubble, but let's just give the Lakers full credit because the championship is a championship, you know what I'm saying? Like, even though they didn't have a, a championship parade or even the fact that uh, they won that in front of Zoom fans, uh, we just got to give them the championship regardless. 
Um, you know, not trying to be a hater or anything. Uh, I And in that game, in game six, when they beat the Miami Heat, the starting two guard was Danny Green or Alex Caruso. I mean, at that point, I, I'm pretty sure Gary's better than both players in here. Alex Caruso has actually become a very good player, but I think at this point in, in his career, wasn't as great. By the way, that starting five, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Alice Caruso, Danny Green were the three of the uh, shooters alongside of Dan- uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron. I don't know why the Lakers went away from this team model. This worked a lot better than what they've had since. But, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not necessarily mad at it. But anyway, yeah, I mean, either KCP, Alice Caruso, Danny Green, I think, you know, Gary's easily better than all three of those guys. Um, you might say Caruso's better defensively. Maybe KCP is even better defensively, but I don't think like by enough to offset how much better uh, offensively Gary is. Because I think that's the part that's getting missed out is Gary's really good offensively, man. Like I, I just, you know, like I, I just don't want that to be discredited. You can even go back to the obviously 2019 the Raptors championship team. Who started up a two? I mean, it was Danny Green or Fred, uh, but mostly Danny for that run. Again, I think he's better than Danny Green. Um, so I think he definitely could have started in that championship team. Um, is he better than Fred was? I mean, post baby Fred was pretty great, but pre baby Fred definitely, you know, I think Gary is better than that. Like he, he struggled at times, um, that season, uh, uh, Fred did obviously everyone knows the story. You don't need to rehash this. Um, let's see. Then it was the Warriors before that. So basically they're starting clay. So no, he's not better than clay 2016, uh, with the Cavs, J.R. Smith. I mean, I guess they're similar type of players. JR really was, when he really went off, I guess he was similar to Gary in that sense. When he really went off, he really was amazing. Um, defensively, I think, you know, Gary's definitely better than JR. So I guess Gary could have started for that team as well. Then it was Clay again. Um, so I guess like half the time, like, I guess the answer is yes. But I think the more important thing is do you have like a LeBron? Do you have like a Steph? Do you have like a Giannis? Do you have like um, that level of star? Right. And if you don't, then you're probably not going to win the championship. That's more of a, important to me than whether Gary's good enough to start on a championship winning team. I think he's, you know, very, very good. I mean, he probably would be your fifth best starter on a championship winning team. Um, but yeah, I think this exercise has really gone through and shown that, you know, half the time the, the starting shoot guard, uh, two guard is not that impressive. And honestly, a lot of the time it's just Danny Green. <laughs> so salute to Danny, man. Three time champ. Good for you. Uh, another question for Gary or about Gary. Um, this next question reads, what do you think the plan is for Gary Trent Jr. After the season? And what's the plan for the current starting five? Are they waiting the season out? Or do you think there's a plan to break it up in season? I don't think so. Um, mostly because I don't see, like, I think it would be a, a clear area where if you trade Gary, you need to replace Gary. Um, it's just like that with what happened with Norm when Norm was afraid it went uh, going into an expiring year. Now, ultimately, they were able to flip Norm into Gary, who they had restricted rights on, and were able to re-sign on what looks to be a pretty good deal right now. Although you do wish it was a little longer, uh, th- that criticism was pointed out at the time. You never know, though. I mean, who knows when the negotiations were? You know, you can't fully cre- fault people when you don't know all the, the circumstances. Uh, although I guess fans do that anyway, and so do media. So, you know what, maybe we're just all kind of silly for doing that. But in any case, um, yeah, like it, it, you needed a shooting guard on the team or you, at least, even if you want to put aside the positionality of things, like you definitely need someone who can hit 10 threes and give you lots of offense and lots of scoring and, and efficient play finishing. 
which is what Trent does. He, he gives you efficient play finishing, and also he gives you uh, semi-efficient play creation. Um, and so you would need to replace that figure on the team. You can't just dash him on the team and just be like, all right, well, you know, we can just p- put someone else on the team. Like, you would need to replace him with someone else of his skill set. Um, ideally, someone better, but, you know, someone of that skill set. So I don't, I don't think that... Uh, I, I don't think that the plan is necessarily to move on from him uh, mid-season. Uh, obviously, if there's an upgrade, definitely try to look for it. But to me, I think the more likely outcome is that the Raptors re-sign Gary, probably like to a two-year deal or something. Give him a raise over what he's done. You know, give him like another six million. I don't know. The cap just jumped ten million as well for next season. There's going to be more flexibility. You know, obviously you got to see if the Raptors ultimately secure that extension for Fred, which may or may not come before the start of the regular season. Um, and when you have secured that, or when you have secured that, then you have a more clear picture in terms of what you can offer Gary. Um, so I wouldn't really. I'm not too worried. Like I don't think Gary's going to go for a max. I think that's where people are like, well, you know, like. Uh, Gary's going to have a really good year and he's probably similar in stature to like a Jordan Poole or like a Tyler Hero. I probably, I'd, I'd argue he's better than some of those guys, but whatever, man, that's fine. Um, less high profile, definitely. Obviously, those two guys went to the finals recently and Jordan Poole won the finals and, and, and Tyler Hero, you know, uh, has a team following and things like that. Um, you know, but... Yeah, anyway, uh, we'll see how what the market is for those guys. That'll probably give you a better picture of what Gary's market is. But I think ultimately the Raptors retain him. I don't really see a reason to let him go. Masai's MO has always been sort of like, look, if you have a good player, just keep him, sign him to a reasonable deal, and then you can figure out what you can do and trade him after that. But, uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd look for Gary to be re-signed. In terms of starting five, again, I don't think he's – it's okay. This is the thing with, with the Gary starting five thing that's interesting to me. First off, like the evidence of Gary being an efficient – option off the bench is more hypothetical in the sense of like well he could score and he likes to shoot so let's just put him in the second unit where he can score and shoot uh, you know to his heart's content to me i'm weary of that because the only time we saw gary in that six-man role was in tampa now of course like there's so many different caveats than the Tampa season. We don't want to like say like, okay, because of Tampa, this is whatever, right? Because otherwise, if that was the case, we would try to start Malachi or something, right? Or, you know, sign Jalen Harris or whatever, right? But in any case, there were instances and, and quite a few games where they brought Gary off the bench in that six-man role exactly to do that, right? Come off the bench, shoot a lot, you have the ball in your hands. I would say like 50% of those possessions ended in him getting to the mid-range and shooting a contested jumper. And I don't care what you necessarily want to do uh, as, a, as a team or what you might necessarily want to do in terms of like maximizing your starting five. That is going to tank your bench unit. I actually, I hate that kind of style of play. I think it'll tank your bench unit. I think it'll actually tank your value as a player as well when you come out and you literally just do that, which... You know what? I think that's the thing, too, that's missing is, like, those really, really good six-man kind of players, right? When I'm thinking about more, like, um, I guess less Jamal, but, like, a, a Lou Williams. I guess the best six-man guys that I've seen are, in like, Mono Ginobili and James Harden types, right? Those guys, in addition to being able to score officially on their own, they were able to get to the free throw line. They were able to create. They were able to also pass and, and generate opportunities for others. I'm not giving Gary the ball a lot because he's not passing the ball a lot, right? So that's what I said was, like, Gary gives you efficient play finishing, 
but also like just average play creation. Like I think he can get you a mid-range pull-up if that's what you want, but you definitely don't want that many of those. And what you're saying when you put him in the sixth man is take as many of those as you want. I'm not cool with that personally. I don't think that's necessarily improving the team. Also, it's like if you're thinking about how to like maximize what Gary does, which again, like that might not necessarily be the bigger picture, but what you want him to do is playing with creators like a Pascal, like a Fred, like a Scotty even, uh, who are able to sort of generate opportunities, draw a double team, and then kick it out. And Gary's the guy who, be, between his... By the way, I, I watched a really nice video of him, uh, just a compilation of his season last season. Um, you could just look for it. Just search Gary Trent Jr. It's like a seven-minute video. The, I think the account is Max something. I don't know. It's, it's YouTube. But anyway, you, when you watch the clips of him playing over and over again, the one thing that really stands out with Gary is how shot-ready he is His and, and his feet. He gets his feet down all the time. He's always able to rise up straight. He's able to uh, elevate uh, a decent amount on his jumper, uh, but he keeps his hands ready. He moves well off the ball. So, like, let's say, for example, Pascal has the ball and he's attacking a mismatch on the, at the elbow, and he's, you know, backing down his man or he's twisting and, and, and doing his Pascal stuff. And what that does is, like, he probably occupies help defenders probably on the wings, which is usually where the doubles come from for Pascal. Um, and... When the guy doubles off of Gary, Gary's so smart at like angling himself or slightly repositioning so that he's out of the sight line of the defender, of his own defender who's gone over to help or shade or hedge or whatever, stunt. And that's where Pascal's able to sort of kick out and find him. And you, when you watch Gary, he's really shot prepared. He's really shot ready. He's the kind of guy that you want to kick out to. Like the kickouts that you want to see from the Raptors, you want to see it kicked out to Fred. You want to see it kicked out to Gary. You probably want to see it kicked out to OG. Those are the kind of guys, right? And so that's where, yeah, I'd actually. I actually like the idea of Gary with the starters. Um, so yeah, even those, even though the, the the numbers aren't necessarily great, even though there's no true center in that group, there's no true size in that group. Um, I still kind of want to see it at least for another like 10, 15 games. Like I, I want to give them more time to figure it out while healthy uh, on a more consistent basis. Cause to me, it's like, those are very clearly to me, at least your five best players. I know pressures made a jump and he was quite efficient and, and not quite efficient, but quite effective. Um, but, you know, he's not better than Gary right now. I, I, I don't even think that there's too much of a debate about that. I think defensively, obviously, um, he makes more of an impact and he fits the, the, the roster better in terms of that, that starting five. And I see the argument. I'm not saying the argument isn't valid. To me, it's just like I still believe in that starting five. I just start your best five players and at least give them a chance to show you definitively that it don't work. And Honestly, I am a little weary of giving Gary that uh, that that free reign to to shoot off the bench because again, the, it's going to be a lot of mid range jumpers. I hope you're all prepared for that. Um, next question from Tyler: uh, How would you rank the 26 and under club of fringe roster slash rotation guys based on their future potential with the Raptors? And he lists those guys off: Delano Banton, Christian Coloco, Justin Champagny, Malachi Flynn, Ron Harper Jr., Jeff Doughton Jr., DJ Wilson, Josh Jackson. Bo Cruz, a.k.a. Juancho Hernan Gomez. I guess we oh, just, just change his name to Bo Cruz. It's fine. Gabe Brown, Jalen Harris, and uh, David Johnson. So I guess that's his order. So first off, um, David Johnson's not on the team. And Jalen Harris, even though the team has his restricted rights, I don't think he's on the team either. So let's just move those guys off, okay? The guys who actually have like contracts to come to the roster this season are you know, the other guys mentioned before that. To me, I, I like that list. I think... Um, in terms of, let's just say in terms of upside, I think to me, Coloco has the highest upside out of that whole group. 
Um, there's just, and by that I mean he, there's a easiest path to him becoming good. Like he, he's already obviously I got the size. He's he's quite mobile for a, a player of his stature. He's he's able to to block shots. He's able to impact shots that way. His one thing that stood out to me is in in watching some of those Rico Hines runs, his catch radius in terms of like catching lobs and stuff. He gets up so high. Like what I mean is like. Not to say he's jumping out the gym like Amari Stoudemire or something, but between his like just natural length and his like jumping ability, he's catching passes and catching lobs that are like higher than the square, like the square on the backboard. That's like when I'm thinking about catch radius, like that's the kind of thing that I'm, I'm thinking about with Christian, right? Um, and so I think he already has that skill already down. And then it's sort of just like, can you add extra elements to his game? But I think there's a starter in Christian when fully developed, which I think honestly cannot be said for the rest of the guys. And so that's why Christian is there for me. Delano, I think has a, has a lot of potential as well. I put him second on this list. Um, I, I think, yeah, I just believe in his, the, the upside of a six, nine point guard. Like it's going to take time. It's, it, he's obviously not like a finished product. He's quite raw. Even watch some of his performances at the America cup and things like that. You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't like, he, had, he was ups and downs, as you normally do when you see Delano in a G League setting or even in a, in a summer league setting. It's kind of the same deal. But there is a lot of upside there, um, and I think it's worth sort of being patient in, in, in what he does. Um, past that, I mean, I honestly, I might get Jeff the third place here ahead of a guy like Justin Champagny. Champagny is just like, Obviously, we need to see his three-point shooting come along. I do I do feel bad for him a lot because he missed so much valuable time this offseason, right? Because all these guys are competing for roster spots. And based on what we've seen, the team was together for Vegas. He was supposed to play for Vegas. He was obviously supposed to be, like, probably your number two option in Vegas behind Delano. Uh, he didn't ultimately play because he, he he fractured that, 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 that finger. Then you saw him in the background a lot of these Rico Hines runs where he's just sitting along the back along with the coaches in 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 warm ups, I'm sure he did went, went through some sort of exercises and and whatever basketball drills he can. But you you hurt your hand, so you you're not gonna be able to do that much of it. Uh, and he's just sitting there with his hand in the wrap. I think in the last game or so, last maybe week, he got in a little bit more. But there's just a lot of missed time that they couldn't really get in with him, and that was a very crucial period because again, all these guys are competing for roster spots for the most part. In any case, I do believe in his talent. I think it's a three and D kind of player, gritty player. I like his I like the profile, I like the aggressiveness that he plays with. But it's also, be, if we're going to be realistic, players of this sort of style and stature, they come in and out of the league quite fast. You know, like even like a Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who was drafted in the first round, you know, like, you know, had a few seasons with the Nets, started a little bit, you know, uh, got a second contract with the Raptors. I guess now he's in training camp with the Warriors. But like, you do kind of flame out real quickly. Like there, there, there are lots of players of this of this sort of profile. But I do I like a lot of what Justin brings. Uh, I like his character as well. I'm going to put him third in this list. Um, I think I'll probably put, or sorry, I'll put Jeff down on the third on this list, but I'll put Champagne fourth on this list. I like Jeff's offensive game. He's very polished. At the G League level, he showed, honestly, quite efficient play, and even a summer league and stuff like that. Again, he just was very efficient. Um, there are some awkwardness and weaknesses to his game, and he's also 26, so like there is maybe less downside here, but, or upside, or, but... In, in his polish right now. Honestly, he might be the most polished player out of all this, all the players listed here. Um, I'd probably put... Ah, man, I don't even know if i put Flynn fifth, man. I, the thing is, I don't know who else I'd put ahead of him, I guess. I mean, in terms of strictly upside, I like DJ Wilson's upside. Like, he's very 
there's a lot of skill in a very big body there. Um, now, he doesn't necessarily play big in the sense that, you know, he's not always using a size advantage well. He's probably not like an impact offensive player. Um, you know, obviously has an injury history as well, but there's talent there. Um, honestly, even a Juancho Hunter Gomez, he's shown to be a productive player in the league before, right? Now, he, he was a first-round pick. He didn't really, like, fully, like, make it. Again, another kind of guy like Champ- that, that could be the way that Champagne goes. By the way, Champagne wasn't even drafted. He was undrafted, right? So... Again, like I'm not trying to be harsh. It's just like these kind of guys, you know, are stay in the fringe of the NBA until they really, really make a name for themselves. Um, but even even a guy like Juancho, like he he's had good moments, and you know, I think that uh, yeah, I don't know, but man, Malachi being outside the top five there is, is a little hard. Um, it's just his skill set. He guys, he just needs to be such a good three point shooter to make it. Like he needs to be like a Fred level three point shooter to make it, and he's just not there yet. Um, he has other skills too, but I don't know. Like you're just, you're literally battling uphill, uh, in terms of what he has. And again, on the Raptors and the way they want to play, it, it's just very hard to see him getting the opportunity because it doesn't fully fit. Um, next question, uh, while we're going back to Scotty again, uh, from Steph, if Kawhi had stayed, we probably wouldn't have Scotty now, which path would you rather have Kawhi for two more years or Scotty for however many years he stays now? Um, Man, that's a that's a that's a that's a tough question. I think okay, if Kawhi had stayed, I think the Raptors repeat in 20, 2020. Like in the bubble, I think he definitely like I, I, the Raptors would have repeated. Like I think it probably would. I mean, yeah, it, the West would still be the same, right? The Lakers still come out of the West, but it's a question of do you take LeBron, AD, and then what was that team? It was KCP. It was Danny Green. It was Caruso. It was. Kuzma, Rajon Rondo, um, Markeith Morris, was JaVale on that team? Something like that, essentially that team versus Kawhi, Kyle, Pascal, Fred, Marcus Gasol, Norm Powell, OJ Anobi. Like, I'm easily taking the Raptors in that sense. So we would have another chip. Now, the thing is, Kawhi also got injured at a very critical time where the Raptors could have still theoretically pivoted to the Tampa tank because Kawhi, if I'm not mistaken, was injured for most of that year, right? And so you could have still pivoted to a Tampa tank. So you there was a conceivable situation where you still might have gone Scotty out of that. Now, I think that's less likely. Um, that's more fantasy at this point. But, uh, yeah, I think I probably take the, the Kawhi stays route because I think they, they win the, again and you have two chips. And when you're talking about a team that can win two titles, then you start to get into a level of like, yo, people forget about that 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 Kawhi Raptor team, you know. People start to get nostalgic about it. Um, and by the way, there's still a chance that they could have gone like, let's say they don't get Scotty, but let's say they tank and they don't get all the way down to whatever they ultimately got down to. Plus, they won the lottery and they jumped up a little bit to get to Scotty. Um, they weren't the fourth worst team by any means last uh, in that year, even when they did try to tank. Um, but uh, you could have still gotten like a Franz Wagner, even like a Kaminga. Like, damn, that's not bad. Plus, you got another chip, which I guess is the most important thing. So, yeah, I'd probably take the quiet route, unfortunately. Um, next one comes from Nehru, again, also about Scotty. If you had to pick one player for the next seven years, please don't take salary into consideration. Who would you rather have? Scotty Barnes, Jason Tatum, Zion Williamson. Um, Damn, this is really tough. This is like when you when you when you start a Pokemon game and you gotta like um, pick between your three starters and you're on that 
that that that page where the bag is open and you got to pick between the three pokeballs and instead of just picking one you go on cerebi.net and you literally look up all their stats and all their moves and you compare everything you look up their ivs and you know their max natures and everything like that anyway this is nerdy stuff but basically it's a hard decision what i'm trying to say um i think as of right now you got to take tatum I, I think as of right now you have to take tatum um it, it's really more would you rather have scotty or zion Scotty is more of the safe pick, I would say, in the sense that he doesn't have any of the injury history that Zion has. Zion's injury history is genuinely concerning to me. Um, you know, obviously, you get back to great shape. You know, we've seen players like, you know, even Embiid, right? Uh, he well, he didn't even play, like, the first two, three years of his career. And then now, obviously, look at him, MVP candidate, you know, doing airplays against the Raptors um, for a first-round victory. Congratulations. Not salty. Um, you know, like, he, he could turn it around, but... At the same time, Zion's upside is crazy, man. Are you, uh, like, yeah, I, I, man. <sighs> yeah, I, unfortunately, I might have to take. I think I have to take Tatum one, Zion two, Scotty three. There's just such a like if, and that's it's such a hard thing to say because you're really gambling on whether Zion can stay healthy. But a healthy Zion is is crazy, man. Like he he, he like destroyed the league in the year that he played that was healthy. Now. The only thing is that he wasn't healthy for very long, but man, this is a great question. This is a really great question. This is a really great question. Um, yeah, but you know, man, a healthy seven years. You gotta be healthy. You know what? Never. You know, I'm gonna screw it. I'm, I'm gonna take Tatum one. I'm gonna take Scotty two. I'm gonna take Zion three. Sorry, I, I guess I just need my stars to be healthy. I'm not gonna pay max contract to a guy. And I guess he said don't take salary into consideration. All these guys are gonna make the max. Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll take availability over anything else. Um, but damn, it's it's very it's very appealing um, what Zion's upside is, especially based on what he's already shown so far. Uh, next question is. Uh, it's loading here. Okay, who do you envision is the most likely to take a step up slash make the largest leap from where they were last year? Uh, I don't know. The weird thing is the Raptors kept the team the exact same. <laughs> like, again, I'm not trying to skirt the questions, but, like, literally their top eight is the exact same as last year, right? It goes Fred, Gary, OG, Pascal, Scotty, and your starting five. Then your first three subs off the bench will be Chris Boucher, Thad Young, and Precious Achua. This is the same team as last year. They've added Otto Porter to be your ninth man. Um, but, you know, he's probably going to play between 15 and 20 minutes. Maybe closer to 20 than 15. But, like, still, your ninth man is not going to play that much. So, yeah, I mean, the biggest internal jump, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I would probably, yeah. I guess Precious is a sexy pick. You can go with Precious. You know what? I'm gonna go out of the box. I'm gonna say Chris. I'm gonna say Chris Boucher. Let's just think. I think there's a there's still a little bit more room for him to get better. So last season he got really good at the defensive stuff. He got really good at the hustle stuff. Um, I guess he was always good at those, but he got really good at concentrating and making his game super efficient. What I'm trying to think is like, can he add the level of productiveness? that he had offensively in Tampa. Cause remember he was averaging like 14 points. He had games. He honestly had, he had tons of games where he was like 20 and 10, right? Obviously that those teams weren't necessarily good. The center position wasn't even necessarily a strength. I would say, uh, especially considering that the Raptors would still be bad defensively, whatever. Right. But Chris had 
an offensive explosion in Tampa, and I would think he had a defensive slash team oriented explosion this past season. If there's some way to combine the two of those together, um, yeah, damn, like that, that that's uh, that's where the leap might be. So I, I might I, I might just you know go with the the indie pick and and say, uh, you know, my boy Chris. Uh, next question is. What can the what can stop the Raptors rise to the top of the East? I mean, lots of things. Um, injuries, obviously, that's number one. I think number two is um, teams zoning the Raptors all game, <laughs> especially if one of their guys is hurt. Uh, teams zoning the Raptors all game and and Raptors losing some frustrating like ninety five to eighty nine games. You know, I could see that happening. Um, I mean, also the East is quite deep, you know, like, you know, the Pistons, Dwayne Casey, you know, there's, 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 there's things, you know, locusts, plague, everything like that. Pandemic. Um, uh, the second part of this question, also, did we drop the ball on Joe Ingles, question mark, or thinking, thinking emoji? Um, did we drop the ball on Joe Ingles? Man, truly, I have not thought about this that deeply. Joe Ingles is 35 at the start. Well, yeah, 35 by the start, the start of the regular season. Um, he's coming off of ACL injury, and he's basically a ring, ch- ring chasing. So I don't think he would have come to the Raptors for ring chasing because um, this is not the place to do that. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, he would fit. Like, I wouldn't mind a Joe Ingles on the team by any means. I, I love those kind of playmaking, low usage kind of guys who can hit a three, but we got to see how he comes back from injuries, I guess. Um, next question, another player that was, I guess, formerly a member of the, the Utah Jazz. And I say formally because I think, you know, pretty clear that Boyan Bogdanovich will be traded from, from Utah. But the question is, can you address the Bogdanovich rumors and explain how it makes no sense contractually or financially, or perhaps you think it's possible and it makes total sense? Either way, want to hear what you and Alex have to say about it. Um, okay, so Bogdanovich is in the last year of his contract. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I guess you can add him as an expiring. So, okay, I should probably explain the, the rumor and, and sort of where it came from. It came from, um, Tim Bontemps or not Tim Bontemps, Tim McMahon, uh, who covers the Western conference. Uh, honestly, he covers the jazz quite well, um, especially on a national scale. Um, but, uh, yeah, like he was, he mentioned that the Raptors might, were, I don't know, sniffing around, whatever the word is, but basically linked to or explored, you know, what it would look like to uh, to get uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Obviously, the, the Jazz are in complete teardown mode. Um, you know, they're looking to, uh, you know, just completely start over, look for picks and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's where it was mentioned. I think he mentioned it again this past year. By the way, I think in his conversation with Zach Lowe, Zach also mentioned that, like, he didn't actually see any of that stuff. Um, he hadn't heard that one. Uh, not to say that that doesn't mean it's true, right? I don't think Zach's necessarily as plugged in as, as let's say, McMahon is out in Utah where he actually goes to cover quite a bit. But still, like, you know, that's that's big considered. But anyway, yeah, so Bogdan, uh, Boyan makes uh, $19.5 million, um, in this coming year. He's expiring. You get his full bird rights, which is nice if you want to re-sign him. Uh, however, he is, what, 34? Is he 33 or 34? He looks 40, but, um, yeah, he's 33. Okay. Sorry. I, I mean, I, I mean, by the way, uh, shout out to Bogdanovich, man. He's, he's having a good, uh, uh, Euro cup right now or a Euro, Euro basket right now. But in any case, um, yeah, Bogdanovich, what he's 33, honestly, pretty good, sh- um, 
scorer, not just three point shooter, but like genuinely, like, like he can get his own shot a little bit, um, can attack the, off the dribble a little bit, not really a playmaker for you much, not going to defend for you too much, but is a guy who can score for you. I just don't see what the purpose of this would be. Like, um, I mean, there is a way you can get him in terms of aggregating some contracts. Like, let's say midseason you want to trade Chris Boucher and Thad Young for him. You could make it work. Yeah, and you probably give up, I guess, a pick. But that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, that's a bad trade, period, for the Raptors to do that. Um, I don't think you trade for him to be your starter either. I don't think he's better than a guy like Gary, for example. Um, especially two-way, I think Gary's better than him. Honestly, offensively, Gary's very close, probably even better than than Bogdanovich at this point. You got to obviously figure that Gary being a decade younger, he's probably gonna ha- he has way more upside than Bogdanovich does have, even if he does have a slight lead right now. Um yeah, I just I just don't fully see it. Like, would he be a nice piece for the Raptors? Absolutely, but I, I think that uh, he's probably going somewhere else. Um, training for him, I, I, I guess, if you want his bird rights, is not a bad idea either. But then again, the Raptors have to figure out what they're going to do with Gary's free agency. Then they're also going to figure out what they're going to do with, with extending Fred and obviously a couple other minor stuff around the fringes. Then obviously OG years down the line. I don't even know necessarily if you want to sign Bogdan or Bo, yeah, Bojan. Sorry, I don't know. I keep confusing their names. My bad. But it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, not to say they couldn't contribute. Not to say they couldn't be like even your, the Raptor six man. Um, but uh, I don't know if you want to give up all those assets to sort of do that. I don't see this as that type of year to do it. Um, there's also another question, believe it or not, involving <laughs> Bogdanovich. Um by the way, he's. I'd, I'd rather have the other Bogdanovich. I'd rather have Bogdan, to be honest. I, I think I like his uh, playmaking skill set. He'd be a great second unit guard for the Raptors. Uh, but another question, would the Raptors be one of the title favorites if mid-year they traded for Kuzma and one of Eric Gordon or uh, Bojan and what they have shipped out in this theoretical framework is like a Chris Boucher, Ken Birch, Thad Young, Christian Coloco, Malachi. First off, I don't think you can get Kyle Kuzma using any package of those five guys. Um, I I doubt it. Maybe Chris, you know, Coloco or Malachi gets you close, but uh, I don't even know. Uh, the Wizards might want like a protective pick or some something like that. Uh, Kuzma's really good. Um, I, I'd love for Kuzma to be on the team. He he, he fits the, the team's uh, ethos perfectly, especially if he's willing to come off the bench. Um, Eric Gordon or Bojan is already a no, so... Yeah, and also, even if they had all three of these guys on the team, they're still not a championship contender, man. That's, that's Yeah, I mean, the missing ingredient is having a star player, not uh, not having a better bench. Although a better bench would help, but um, yeah, I don't even know. Plus, if you give up Chris in those deals, like he's your be- current best bench player, I, you know, you need to get a, a real upgrade. I guess Kuzma would be an upgrade, but not even by that much right now, honestly. I, I actually... Based on what Chris showed last season, I, I and based on the fact that I think he might even take another leap, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I guess I wouldn't do that, especially giving up extra assets. So, the, the question, the answer is just a collective no to all of that, mostly. Um, next question: What are your predictions for the Nets this year in terms of drama? Who plays more games, Ben Simmons or Kyrie? You see, you gotta you gotta define what you mean by games um, because uh, they're definitely going to be playing games, quote unquote, as in they're going to be unserious, but. In terms of who plays more games, that's a great question. Uh, probably Kyrie because it's a contract year for him. You know, and he already tried to get that extension. It didn't really work out. So, yeah, I mean, if there's $200 million on the line, I'd probably work hard too. 
Um, so I'll probably give to Kyrie. But yeah, I don't know. Nets, I, I'm sick of the Nets, man. Next question. Um, is Will ready to admit that Liverpool cycle is over or retooling will be needed at minimum? Um, okay. Uh, also, thoughts on Delano's performance for Canada over the past week. Let's go with Delano's performance first off. I thought he played well. I thought he, um, you know, did what he could with that roster. A lot of that team was like CEBL level players. No disrespect to those guys, but like if you were taking all of Canada's talent in basketball and made teams, that would probably be a C team that Delano was on. Um, he was the team's best player. He was the team's leading player. Not the only good player on the team. Like, the Canada had a really good run. They, I don't think anyone really expected them to, like, win the tournament. Um, but in any case, uh, Delano played well. Like, you up and down, as you always expect, as I said. But, you know, had some good moments. Um, I think there's a lot of physicality in that level of play in FIBA, which is always very different. When you watch FIBA versus, like, the NBA... Actually, honestly, man, I really do enjoy the FIBA rules. There's a lot more contact, a lot of stuff they let go. Like, you got to, like, in order to score, you need to, like, actually score. I mean, not to say that the officiating is perfect by any means. FIBA officiating can be pretty bad. Uh, but there, I do like the physicality of the games. I like how competitive it is. I obviously like the fact that it's countries, uh, players playing for their country, so the motivation is a little different, too. But in any case, yeah, Delano played well. Um, I know the overall numbers don't look fantastic. Like, you might say, well, he, like, led the team in, like, points, rebounds, assists, but he shot, like, 29% from three. It's like, I mean, you also got to consider the fact that he's, like, handling the ball a lot. And so if you want him to, like, be your primary creator, like, I guess the, people got to think about the percentages and, like, in a, in a way in terms of contextually, right? Like, I don't know. Um like, James Harden, probably a career, like, 37% three-point shooter, 36 37% three-point shooter, let's say, um, versus a guy like Patty Mills, who's probably a career, like, 40% three-point shooter. You might just say, well, based on the percentages, Scott, uh, uh, Scott you know, Patty, Bar- uh, Patty Mills is a better three-point shooter than than, um, than James Harden. James Harden, by the way, for his career, 36.1% three-point shooter, right? And Patty Mills, just real quickly, is a career 39% three-point shooter. So basically what I said, you know, 36 versus 39. Well, 39 is definitely higher. There's no way that you would say Patty Mills is a better three-point shooter than James Harden, right? And it comes down to sort of like who's able to generate, who's able to create. So I think there's a penalty, obviously, to creating your own threes, uh, unless you're Steph, basically. Um, but yeah, I, I thought Delano played well. Um, it's, a, it's a good performance, and I'm happy he was able to come out and play for the national program. Look forward to sort of seeing if he can get into that squad um, when you're talking about the senior level for like the World Cup or even for the Olympics, if the Canada ever makes it to the Olympics from the, on the men's side, that'd be that'd be quite nice. Um, obviously, there's a lot of great point guards. By the way, it's no guarantee. You only take 12 guys, and if you took 12 Canadian players, um, the two point guards I would want are Shea and Jamal Murray, not Delano Banton. But he can make it as a uh, auxiliary piece, maybe your third point guard. Um, you'd probably be looking at him versus like I don't know, um, Nikhil. Alexander Walker or him versus like um, Andrew Nemhard who just got drafted. I don't know. I think Delano could probably outcompete some of those guys, but uh, yeah. And then the first part is: Am I ready to admit that Liverpool cycle is over? Okay, look, here's the thing. Um, if you go back and listen to the episode I did with Vivek, Big V, Big Jake, um, a few episodes ago, where we discussed in length after Liverpool lost two one to United. Uh, at Old Trafford and, and gave United their first win of the season. By the way, United's kind of turned it around a little bit. Um, so good for them. But I said in that episode 
there are tons of problems. Like, I think at that point, it was all like, well, you know, Liverpool, you know, the blah, 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 blah. Like, it's like early. You got to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's like, no, I, I've watched this team very, very closely. It's very recognizable what they do. To, to see them being slow and sluggish when they're, most of their game is predicated on being so fast, so overwhelming, so um, unrelenting in, in, in their physicality and, and their pace. Um, obviously, in, in addition to their skill, but I would say they overwhelm teams with their physicality and pace um, more than they do necessarily with their skill. As, to see them being sluggish and slow, and obviously the midfield looks looks you know, I mean non-existent at this point between the injuries and the performances. Yeah, like I, I think there needs to be actual retooling, or at least even things like Liverpool playing a high line, uh, which has worked. In terms of the numbers, like, you know, I, I don't think you can look at the numbers and say Liverpool have a bad defense. But there are always moments when you're watching Liverpool as a supporter where you're like, damn, we really need a VAR to come in and, and, and check because that high line just allowed a ball over the top and guys were able to run into the, the gaps and they're able to run through. And, and, and honestly, a lot of that was based on Allison being a great def, uh, uh, shot stopper. He's really good at coming out, making himself big and closing down the angle as a goalkeeper. That's probably his... I mean, he has lots of great traits. Don't get me wrong. He's a, honestly a pretty good distributor with his feet as well. Um, and, and obviously, he's honestly, he's everything you could ask for on a goalkeeper. Um, but I think the one special trait he has is coming out and becoming really big, stopping those one-on-one chances. Um, that high line, though, man, it, it's, it's, it's really, really hard to play. And I think, you know, obviously we saw them getting burned against Napoli. That was a shameful performance. Um, so far below their standards, but... Yeah, like there are definitely some refreshing that there, that that needs to be done. I, I think it does, you know, especially in the midfields, for example, like you just need some really, really hardworking um, players who are able to sort of keep pace with the game because when you're asking like James Milner or like even Jordan Henderson right now to cover for Trent, who's probably going to be playing uh, central uh, midfielder or, or central attacking midfielder or maybe even central striker at certain points this season, I've seen him take up some strange positions. You literally don't have somebody there, so you need your your, your midfield to be so good on that front. And the one that that scares me is Fabinho not being um, he's not had a good season. I mean, no one on Liverpool has had a good season so far. I would say maybe except for like I don't know Harvey Elliott or something. But um, yeah, like it, even if it, like Fabinho, like he's been such a key midfielder for them, their most important midfielder, and he has been washed a few times and turned a few times, and that's just not something I was useful. that I was used to. I, I've been so used to seeing him playing great. So obviously the team will turn it around, but in order to get to that very, very top level, I think there are a couple of things missing. And uh, I don't know, man. Teams do get kind of old. Like, they signed a lot of players, and they kind of kept the team pretty consistent. Um, some players have obviously moved on. I do miss Sadio Mane quite a bit, not only as a footballer, but as a person as well. Um, honestly, if you're, not, if you're not a soccer fan and you don't know who Sadio Mane is, just look up... Sadio Mane and charity and the things that he does like he pays like an $11 stipend to every single person in his, his village um uh from I forget where in Senegal but like that th- that's th- that's that's so amazing what he does um and yeah he's just one of the most like altruistic athletes we've probably ever seen so I, I miss him as a person as well but there's just been a lot of changes anyway look yeah it's, it's all it's all boom man city got howling for some reason and now they're gonna destroy the whole world with him, uh, and it sucks. Uh, next question from Andrew. What kind of role do you see Malachi having this season? Will he get a chance to prove he belongs, or will we move out of town? I got to say, if it's more likely between Malachi making the rotation versus him being uh, moved this season, I'd probably say moved. 
I just don't see the way the Raptors want to play him fitting into that. And that's a little unfortunate, but it is what it is. We've kind of covered a few times, so I don't want to belabor it. It's not to say that Malachi is not a good player, but the Raptors want to play a certain way. You know what I'm saying? So uh, next question, what do you think the Raptors should do to get more families and young fans back in the building this season? Watching from home last year, found the crowd quite lifeless and disengaged for large portions of the games. How are season ticket sales going as well? I mean, I got to imagine season ticket sales are strong as always. It's probably a you know couple years wait in order to even get an opportunity to purchase some. Great investment in the city. Uh, they're very expensive, but obviously the secondary market is very robust. You probably, I mean, again, I don't have season tickets. I don't have that kind of money, but like you probably get season tickets, go to half the games, sell over half the games, probably cover your costs, maybe even make a little bit. So, you know, pretty good investment. I hate that everything in Toronto is an investment. Um, I don't know why you have to make $2 million a year to, to survive in the city, but unfortunately, that's basically what you got to do. Anyway, um, yeah, what do you think the Raptors should do to get more families and young fans back in the building? Um, I mean, lower prices. There's no way as a family you're taking like four player, four people to the games on a consistent basis unless you have some sort of incredible plugs, you know some people, or you have like tons of money. It's just not possible like yeah you could take your, your your family out one time one two times like even me like i was thinking about um obviously i don't take my whole family out right but sometimes i, I in the past i've taken like uh you know my, my cousin who, who who lives out in in, in palo alto like near san francisco um she's a big basketball fan um and, and she plays as well so you know when she's been in town visiting uh i would take her and also uh my little brother out to the games and so this is three people right this is you know, pretty much a very small family at this point, three. I guess very average, never mind. I don't want to judge people. But the, let's say you, a family outing three people is, is still kind of low, right? But three people going to the game, um, this was, to be fair, the Christmas break where I guess there was probably more demand. But this was pre-championship, and this was a, a random work night game against the Atlanta Hawks. And it was like like let's say December 29th against the Atlanta Hawks, right? Uh, maybe I'll go through and find the actual game. To sit three people in the 300s level, and again, I'm, I wasn't trying to get them like some you know 100-level seats or anything like that, and I had to connect. Like I, 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 I knew somebody, um, not to, to get me free tickets, but like to, 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 to sell me you know, secondhand tickets at a pretty uh, reasonable rate, I would say. With all that combined, like it still ran me like two hundred bucks, and you know what? Like that, that, that's probably not surprising to anyone who's gone to the games. Maybe two hundred bucks isn't even a lot of money to a lot of people, which is fine. I get that. Um, the game, by the way, was Friday, December 29th, 2017, seven thirty p.m. game. The Raptors playing the Atlanta Hawks. Raptors won one eleven to ninety eight. A memorable game, if I have to say. But yeah, like between the transit, between the the, the cost of going to the game. Wow, wow, Torian Prince had 30 points? Jeez, what, what the hell? Marco Bellinelli was on that team? All right, wow. Um, who else? Well, DeMar had 25. DeLon Wright had 13. Kyle had 12. JB had 13. OG had 9. I don't know how the Raptors won this. How do you have that many? How do you have 111 points when your leading score, second leading score is 13? Anyway, balanced effort, I'd say. But, yeah, it costs like over 200 bucks. And that was with a lot of caveats sort of put in. And there's not a lot of families have disposable 200 bucks to spend all the time. So, yeah, I don't know. You got to make it a lot cheaper at some points. Um, or find some way to make packages happen or 
I, I don't, I, to be honest, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, the, I, I, I could say all this, but the Raptors are no charity. They're literally a business. Like, they're literally there to make money. So, that's a good question, man. That's a real good question. But honestly, the, the, the question of affordability is, like, the number one thing that everyone in Toronto needs to be thinking about. Because, like, well, not the number one thing, but among the number one things, it's just, like, the city is, like, cruelly uh, expensive. And it's, like, genuinely unlivable because of that. And, uh... That's that's this is coming from someone who is like fairly privileged in that sense and fully employed. So, you know, things got to change in the city. But uh, anyway, we'll just move on. Um, uh, next question. How do you feel about the potential of our bench rotation coming into the season? Who do you think will can potentially be that Lou Will type of player from our bench if all goes well? So I don't think you need a Lou Will type of player. I think even when you think about teams that have like a Lou Will type of player. So the Lou Will type of player has like morphed to me. Again, the, the way I'm thinking about it is like a Tyler Hero or like a Jordan Poole. Those guys don't just come in the game and get any shot up, right? Like they're the, the, that style of play is different. Like there's there's a lot of like even though those guys do create a lot and dictate a lot of their own shots, and they do have a green light. There's those are still the same, but the structure is like they're off ball, they're catching and shooting from three, and they're being efficient with it. That's to say, I mean, honestly, even Lou did that at times in Toronto as well. That was a good season he had here, right? But it's not the same. It's not like they turn the whole offense over to the guy. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess there's nobody on the bench that really has that potential right now. Again, that's part of the reason why people want to put Gary on the bench. So, I, I, I again, I see the argument. But uh, ultimately, that's still not the style of play that I that I ultimately like. And, yeah, in terms of the team, I mean, I, I like it, though. Like, I, I, I think... Chris and Precious come off the bench together when they play together. Very effective as a front court. Won you tons of extra possessions. Uh, protected the rim decently. Offensively, you know, not great, but you know what? Uh, it's okay as long as you go in one, one side of the ball and be average on the other side of the ball for a bench duel. I, I take that. Thad Young really changed a lot of things, helped improve the bench. So I expect the same from him. And then Otto Porter is like a Thad Young type of player, like in the sense that obviously he doesn't play the same way. He shoots the ball more, um, doesn't, you know, uh, handle as much, but. Still a very solid veteran who will know his place and, and, and understand how he's going to fit in and not take too much off the table. And Yeah, I, I like the bench. You have four reliable options off the bench. That's a lot more than what the Raptors had at times last season. Uh, next question. Where do you see the Raptors stacked in the Eastern Conference? They're behind Cleveland now, I believe. Uh, also, how do you see the Heat? For some reason, I can't see that as a middle-tier team. Well, I can see that team as a middle-tier team. Uh, that might be a second round exit. Don't see them being great without Tucker. Honestly, PJ Tucker, that's a good call. PJ Tucker was a really important player for them last season, really productive player for them. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think they're in the second tier. Um, I think that uh, the first tier is pretty clear to me. It's going to be Philly. It's going to be Milwaukee. It's going to be uh, Boston. Um, they're in that second tier. And I guess in the same tier as Cleveland for me, you would say that with the addition of Donovan Mitchell, that it's a clear upgrade. The only thing I would say about that is like it's not like Laurie Markkinen was bad for them. That actually is something off the table. Of course, of course, of course, Donald Mitchell is much better than Laurie Markkinen. But that was a protective piece for them. Um, even though Markkinen played the three, and even though he was someone you could attack, it wasn't an easy guy to attack, kind of honestly, because he was still six ten, and you still got to get past them. And then there's two more guys who are seven foot behind him, right? So like that was, I, I mean, anyway, whatever. I, I'm I'm not here to like. Stan Laurie Markin. I just think he is a good player and it's not it's significant you lose him. Sexton, basically you've like gone from a good Sexton to like a really, really good Sexton. Like if Sexton had a good game every game, that'd basically be what Mitchell is. That's a big improvement for them. I, I do agree. Um, but 
I don't know. I, I still need to see. Like, there is still things that you could do against that team. Like, I think defensively, that team has not gotten better. Um, but that team defensively can still be quite good. You are ultimately asking Allen and Mobley to carry your defense, which they can do. But obviously, those are only two guys. You still other spots you got to attack. You can attack Mitchell. You can attack Garland. And defensively, um, I think teams will still double Mitchell. They'll still double Garland. And you can do that because you don't have to guard the three at all. Like, whoever is going to be playing three, whether that's Chetty Osman, whether that's Isaac, or Isaac Okoro, who's probably going to play more of it because he was drafted higher and also because he's a better defender. Like, those guys can't do anything. Well, not, I guess Osman could do some things, but, like, he's not. you're not worried if Osman hits you with, like, 25 points. Like, if, if, you, if you do, give him the Gerald Henderson Award, you know, shake his hand, whatever. But, you know, you bet on him to beat you. Teams can still double off those guys. And it's not like Mobley's, like, some sort of elite sharpshooter that you got to respect him on the perimeter like he's Dirk or something. And Allen only, you know, is affecting around the basket. So I, I still think you can kind of double. Like, again, like, their offense definitely improved. Their defense got slightly worse. Um, you know, but improved by how much? Uh, we'll see. I mean, I was already high on Cleveland coming into this. So I, I already like Cleveland quite a bit. Um, they had a deep team as well. They got pretty reliable players off the bench. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. I, there's not, they're not definitively about, uh, ahead of the Raptors for me. Uh, and that might just be me, you know, um, being a little bit biased here. But I, I still kind of, I, I guess I want to see it. And I want to see how it fits too because, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not. I mean, on paper, they definitely improve. But I want to see how it works together as well. Uh, next question. If you can have one of prime Mike Miller... Ray for Alston, TJ Ford, or Jose Calderon on this current Raptors team to back up Fred, who would you pick? Um, on this current Raptor team, I don't think any of these fit. <laughs> Quite honestly. Um I guess I go with TJ Ford. I really like TJ, man. Before Al Horford, for no freaking reason whatsoever, chopped down TJ Ford and hurt that man's spine to the point where it affected his life. Um which I will never forgive Al Horford for. I mean, I understand it was a basketball play, but it was a fast break in like the third quarter and it was a nothing play. You don't need to like literally end a man's career for that. Still don't like Al Horford for that. I hope he tears his peck again. But um, yeah, like I I, 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 I really like TJ Ford. I, I really like watching him. Um, elite quickness. Uh, you know, I think the, the penetration from a guard is probably the only thing the Raptors don't have from their backcourt right now. So... I would probably pick that. You know, Rafer was nice. Mike James, that, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, contract here, Mike James was elite. Uh, there's, there's really no doubt about that. Jose Calderon would probably be the, the closest, but uh, defensively, he's, 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 he's awful, and the Raptors don't, uh, don't uh, entertain those types of players. Okay, a couple more questions, because I am kind of running out of gas, and I'm also doing a four-hour pod with Alex tomorrow. Um, next question. This is about FIBA from... Um, Gal, uh, have you watched any of the FIBA games this summer? Uh, and has anyone surprised you for better or for worse? Uh, I have honestly been super entertained by Eurobasket. I haven't been able to actually watch the games themselves because of just I don't want to pay for another service. Like, I'm already paying for DAZN and Fubo. Like, it's just, it's just too much. Like, if they're not on those two streams or they're not on TSN and, and Sportsnet, I, I just I can't watch your product. I'm sorry. Maybe I'll illegal stream or something, but... Genuinely, it's hard to find these games. However, I've been really enjoying watching the coverage of it. Like, you could just go online. You could search FIBA. Um, they have a great great basketball channel. They, they have a lot of great highlights. Um, the the Euro 
your basket news has a really good uh, t- Twitter account as well. I've been watching a lot of their stuff, and yeah, it's just been a, a bas- basket news. That's the account, and yeah, a lot of the games have been amazing, man. Like if you're not watching, if you're not following at least the the, the Eurobasket events, it, you're kind of missing out. Like, like Ser- so, Serbia got upset um, by Italy. Uh, this is Italy that lost to Nuno Gallinari like early in the tournament. Turns out he has an ACL injury. It really sucks. He was going to play in his hometown as well, um, but even without their best player, um, they were able to upset. Serbia of all teams. Serbia is a powerhouse, especially when you have Jokic on the team. I think they were even up like double digits in the first half, and then they lost. Uh, pretty amazing effort from, from from Italy. Their coach was also ejected from that game. That was very fun. France very narrowly survived past Turkey. Uh, Turkey had a two point lead. They had the ball. They got fouled. They got put on the line, and it was uh, international rules, right? So they fouled someone. I think intentionally but without the ball or something like that so they got two free throws and the ball and they're already up to like 12 seconds left they got chetty osman going to the line which is probably turkey's one of their best players they have some pretty good players like they got shangun they also got a uh, freaking cork maz a couple other guys as well maybe i'm missing um but you have chetty osman going to the line up to with two uh intentional free throws and also um you you get the ball afterwards he misses both shots and then on the inbound they turn the ball over and then they give the ball up to France. Then France has a chance. Evan Fournier, you know, snakes the pick and roll, gets in the middle of the floor, puts up a floater, misses. But Rudy Gobert was there for the putback dunk, forces overtime, and then France wins in overtime. Just an incredible choke job from from Turkey. Uh, but France probably should have, you know, taken care of that in any case. That's a really good team. They're, they have a you know, decent chance to win it. Um, then you have Slovenia. Obviously, Luka Doncic's it's, it's absurd what he's doing in this format. It's actually kind of nuts, man. He's getting the ball every single time. He's scoring. I mean, it's basically what you see Luca doing in the NBA, but wow, it, it's it's really fun um, what he's doing. What else is, I mean, uh, Lithuania got upset. I think, who did they, oh, they got upset by Spain, which again, this is a, a Spanish team that wasn't highly rated. Usually Spain would be a powerhouse. However, they, uh, you know, Mark and Powell have both retired. Um, some other bets from from those times, like Rudy Fernandez, you know Sergio Yule, um, you know Juan, Juan Carlos Navarro, guys like that, like that generation, they they've gone right, you know. Um, and so it's like this new f- generation of guys who some guys you probably recognize, like obviously uh, the Raptors, Juancho Hernan Gomez is on the team. His brother Willie Hernan Gomez is on the team. You got like Usman Garuba, uh, who was a first-round pick with the Rockets. He's on the team. But it's like a very, very different Spanish team. Underdog. By the way, coached by Sergio Scariolo, former Raptors assistant. He went back overseas. Um, but he's still coaching the the Spanish national team. They upset Lithuania. And Lithuania had some pretty damn good players, man. They had, they had Sabonis. They had JV. You know, the, the funny thing with Lithuania is they always have two bigs at all times, and I just don't think two bigs really work that well because they're both always two low-post bigs. Like, in the NBA, for example, if I told you Sabonis, JV, frontcourt doesn't work, you wouldn't be surprised. But in Europe, it's not this, it's the same deal. Like, I guess they're expected to play well because those are really good players, but they're always, like, feels like the less than the sum of the parts. Um, they also got Iggy Brasdakis, who I believe grew up in Mississauga, uh, but he's, you know, got Lithuanian background, and so he's playing with their team instead of Canada now. Um, probably wouldn't have made Team Canada, honestly, anyway, but still, he's playing with them. But yeah, they, they got upset by by Spain, um, who I think beat them in overtime as well. Um, so yeah, anyway, the, the games in Eurobasket have been really fun. And I think it's now just knockout. I think there's eight teams left. Um, but in any case, like, yeah, if you get a chance to watch them, um, first off, A, tell me how to do it without paying. And second of all, like, yeah, please do watch it because it's actually really good. So 
Honestly, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed watching like all sorts of basketball like that's not on right now. If you, by the way, if you're not watching the WNBA playoffs, uh, you're missing out. Um, the finals are going on right now. Um, yeah, I mean, you've probably already seen some Chelsea Gray highlights. Um, you probably heard of a lot of players on the Aces. The Aces have a very, very stacked team. It's actually kind of hilarious how much talent they have on the team. Aja Wilson won uh, MVP. Uh, she's definitely one of the best players in the league. You know, just a low-post monster. Um, honestly, could face up a little bit as well. But seriously, just a very, very talented low-post player. Um, you know, you got Kelsey Plum on that team. Um, you got Jackie Young. But holy, Chelsea Gray has been insane. Like, obviously, the, the big storyline this season was, like, this is Sue Bird's last year. Seattle Storm has a great team as well. Like, I mean, you also have, you know, Brianna Stewart basically up there one neck and neck with uh, AJ Wilson for best player in the league. And, you know, I, I don't think Sue played really well in her last game, but, you know, did decently enough. There are a couple other good contributions from the rest of the Storm, but, oh, my God, Chelsea Gray, the way she shut the door and the way she's played this whole uh, playoffs has just been unbelievable. The shot making off the dribble, like, we're talking about clutch threes. We're talking about heavily contested mid-range just like pure hooper stuff. Like, and she's like shooting like 60% and taking like these type of shots. Like it's like 60% from the field and like 45 from three, maybe even higher than that. I mean, yeah, if you haven't seen Chelsea Gray this playoffs, like you, you absolutely need to see it. And and it's not too late. Go go catch the WNBA playoffs. Because like, look, listen, you're, you're like, obviously we all want to watch NBA basketball. We all want to watch the Raptors, but there's tons of good basketball going on between Eurobasket and, and, and WNBA. So don't be missing out, man. Uh, if you're If you're a real hoop fan, you're going to be watching all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm gonna take three more questions. Uh, a couple more of these we'll probably get to in tomorrow's episode. So look out for that, or I guess uh, Wednesday's episode. Look out for that. But uh, next one from Luca. Uh, Luca Doncic's not safe for work. Okay, all right, that's interesting. Uh, Mr. Lou, what are your thoughts on Patrick Patterson and Amir Johnson? Um, yeah, I mean, both worked really hard for the team. Um, I, I think Amir was much better than Pat, but um, you know, unfortunately, Amir had the injuries. To Pat, I mean, honestly, like, he, he served his role quite well, um, but just was never, like, it's a classic, like, a bench player who shouldn't be asked to start. The Raptors just were so bad at the power forward position for so, 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 so long between, you know, the time they lost Chris Bosh to the point where they drafted Pascal that, like, it was dark, and so they needed to put somebody there, and they so, they, so Patrick Patterson was kind of that guy. He had a knee injury, too, that really hurt him, but... Yeah, I don't know. Um, both love the city a lot too. I thought I saw two Pat was back in the city for Tiff, um, but uh, in terms of who's shown the most love to the city itself, Amir Johnson is unrivaled, man. If, you, if you're if you're if you were around for those Raptor days, if you were around for hashtag RTZ days, you know how much of a fan favorite Amir was, and a lot of that was because of the fact that not only was he contributing on the court, um, but man, he he really gave back to a lot of fans, and he, he did a lot of fan service. So salute to Amir, man, one of my favorite Raptors. Um, Ever, honestly, no doubt. Uh, next, another question. Uh, how much better do you think OG can get with the Raptors given his current role with the team? It feels as though there that perhaps there isn't much opportunity for him to get much better. And based on your answer, how highly do you value OG? Um, I think OG probably does the same thing if he goes to another team. Like, there's not, I don't know. Like, again, we've had long discussions about OG on this um, show in the offseason. So if there are probably more detailed answers that I want to point you to there rather than, you know, this is like what an hour and 45 of me just ranting in my, my living room. Um, you know, like I'm probably getting a little tired. I'm not going to lie, but yeah. OG he's, 
I think you need to see more. Any team that makes OG their featured offensive player, like one or two option, is not going to be on a good offense right now um, based on his current skill set. And so either he can go to a bad team and do that or he can be on a good team and be a, a really good 3 and D player, which is what he is right now. Um, not to say that he can't fully make up that gap, but yeah, I think OG probably tops out as a third option on a championship team. And even that is a little generous. Um, but he's a very, he's become a very, very good three-point shooter on very high volume, which is very important. Um, you know, there were, uh, I, again, I, I love talking about watching warmups and stuff, but it's very clear to me when, when you see people shooting warmups, whether those guys can shoot or not. Right. But OG did this drill last year where he would just take two shots and from each spot on the floor. And then he would like, let's say he starts in the left corner, takes two shots, right? Then he would take one step to the side and take two shots and go around the whole perimeter. Probably take like, I don't know, 53s, let's say 25 spots on the floor, right? Literally just moving foot by foot around the three-point arc. And he, he, he would do this with his, his uh, he'd do this weird thing where he would have his warm-ups on, but then unbutton the rest of them except for the top two buttons. So it kind of looked like he had these like giant bell bottoms on. Um, but he would just go around the arc and just like shoot these threes and he would make every single three. Then he would get to the point where he's like, I'm just going to screw around and shoot these like super high arcing threes. He actually started working on that a little bit this season. He didn't really see it too much in game, but OG's pretty disciplined. He doesn't really do too much. Um, but anyway, he was trying, he would like screw around almost and almost shoot these like super high arcing threes. Like, and he would make some of those as well. But it was just like watching that. I was very impressive. And I was like, okay, yeah, he, he definitely can, he definitely can stroke it right now. So that I think is the most important thing. And he's gotten that element plus his defense. The other elements in terms of play creation and stuff like that, he needs to take like two or three more steps. It's not a natural thing that comes to him, so he needs to get better at that still. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. In terms of getting that opportunity to do so on the Raptors, to me, he's like you will get the opportunity. It's not like there's someone on the Raptors who's so dominant offensively that no one else can touch the ball. It's not like the Raptors have Luca or LeBron. But at the same time, you got to be better first to get those chances. So that's always been sort of my uh, my 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 stipulation with OG. And then the last question I'm taking here is what exactly has Drake contributed to the Raptors in terms of getting players to come to Toronto? Is that part of his role or is he just a celebrity with a title? Um, he's, I mean, I don't know. I don't, we don't, we don't need to denigrate him. Like first off, like the Raptors don't pay Drake. Like people understand this, right? The Raptors aren't like, here you go, Mr. Drake, here's your salary. Your, here's your corner office at the day at the desk. Your job is to do this and this. You, you come, you punch in at eight o'clock, you punch out at four o'clock. And we come back tomorrow and maybe we work on your little, you know, give you a little T4 at the end of the year and stuff like that. Like, that's not what happens with, with, with Drake and the Raptors. I think people need to really understand that. Like, it's a collaboration. And the fact that you're able to collaborate with somebody who is objectively one of the biggest artists in the world, who is especially relevant uh, in an African-American space. Uh, and, but I mean, I mean, not even that. Like, Drake's just super relevant in, 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 in general. Like, um, to even get the chance to partner with him is, is, a, is a very good opportunity. You don't, you're not paying him anything. Obviously, you get to, you know, there's business being done in terms of like, you know, the Raptors got the OVO, you know, branding and they got the OVO, you know, jer jerseys and all that kind of stuff. And there's all sorts of collaborations between the two brands. But that's a collaboration between two brands. Like the Raptors are entering that relationship. So it's not like they're employing Drake to do this job. Um, in terms of getting players to come to Toronto, I don't know. Probably not that much. I think it probably gets players to think about Toronto, think about the Raptors, but no one's a, such a big Drake stand that it's like, oh, wow. If I sign with the Raptors, I get to see Drake? Okay, I'll do it. Like, 
I mean, like, you got to be silly when you think about million dollar contribu- uh, uh, decisions in your life that you got to, like, no one's that big of a stand, right? And I don't think the expectation should be that Drake is able to bring these guys in. First off, people actually get paid money to do those jobs. Those guys' names are Masai Ujiri and, Bo- and Bobby Webster, and to a lesser extent, Nick Nurse. Um, those are the guys you're looking at, not Drake for that. And the other thing is, like, in terms of what Drake has done with the brand and the organization, like, you might say, well, oh, man, it's annoying to me that I see Drake front and center on a lot of these things. Well, guess what, man? That's what people actually want to see. Like, he actually is that big of a star. He's brought as much attention to the Raptors as pretty much anybody else outside of Kawhi. Um, you know, like, he... I, I don't know. I, I just... I think maybe it's just my... I am, And again, maybe... I'm not necessarily saying this person's putting down Drake, nor am I like a Drake stand or anything. It's just to me, like, you have to understand the relationship. Like, you are getting this chance to use some of his celebrity to improve the stature of your and the and the standing of your franchise. And also by the way Drake is fairly generous in terms of his 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 contributions with basketball and Canada in general. Let's just put it at that. But um yeah, I I, I don't see anything wrong with this. I, I mean, I think people will be mad all the time like, "Oh my god, Drake's not coming to Raptor games." Like, what do you what, what, you want him to be Nav Baccio, man? That's not that's not him. Like we got come on, man. Like no disrespect to Nav whatsoever, but like there's levels to this. There's there's many levels between Drake and Nav, right? And like, anyway, the the point is, Drake is a net positive for the Raptors. There's no arguing about that. And I just don't understand why people get mad at this. People are like, wow, he hops on different teams and stuff. Okay, so like again, like we're talking about celebrities are not regular people, and Drake's not even a regular celebrity at that. So just take what you can out of it. It's a positive relationship. You know, there's really nothing to complain about. It's not his role to bring players here. I don't think he said, I'm going to bring players here. You pay me money to do that. I, I think literally that's Masai and Bobby's job. But, uh, yeah. So, all right. That does it for the solo pod. Thanks, everyone, for asking questions. I hope I was able to use this space to address most of the basketball-related questions. Um, obviously, there will be tons of basketball-related questions in the next one with Alex as well. But, you know, as always, we got lots of, uh, you know, non-basketball questions. So, I want to keep that space for that. Um, in the meantime, you know, Continue to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We've got some bigger announcements coming. So, again, look for the episode on Wednesday when I do the banter out with Alex. Um, but, um, yeah, we're getting closer to the start of the season. It's going to be really exciting. We have actual things to talk about. Um, and, yeah, I'm just happy that we're able to make it through the offseason together. Uh, once again, you know, apologies. No announcement on no shows last week. But I was away, and there was nothing going on. Um, so, that was kind of that, but uh, the aim is still to try to put out three episodes per week throughout the offseason. Uh, we made it through the large portion of it now. We're basically on the home stretch, so, um, you know, check back in. But uh, there'll be plenty of content in the coming days, coming weeks, and thanks everyone for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. If you want to write into the banter pod, the email is info at stephenlebron.com. Uh, but other than that, you know, thank you.